This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Sometimes we need to go back to basics. We need to go back and evaluate our lives. And if we truly believe in Jesus Christ and his resurrection, we better be ready to defend the gospel. We need to be ready to give an answer when we're asked a question against the resurrection. When they ask you questions against your Messiah, your Lord and Savior, when they ask you questions about your God, when they ask you questions about the resurrection, be ready to give an answer. How well do you know the scriptures? Well, we might be coming into some days where we're tested in this area, and not by a friendly Sunday school teacher, but by antagonistic, worldly people and authorities. In today's message, Pastor Eddie teaches on Paul's trial before Festus. Like Paul, there may very well come a time when we have to defend our belief in Jesus and His resurrection. Are you ready? If not, then open your Bible. Now let's join Pastor Eddie with today's edition of Running the Race. Verse 10, so Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done no wrong. No wrong. I've done no wrong to the Jews. He stood before them. Even before the Jewish leader council, remember when he stood before them in chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse 9. This is what the Pharisees said about Paul. It says, and the scribes of the Pharisees party arose in protest saying, we find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Knowing when Paul said, listen, this is one thing I confess. I believe in the resurrection. And so the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, that's why we say they're sad, you see. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spirits. Well, the Pharisees did. They believe in the resurrection. They believe in the angels. They believe in spirits. And you would think these guys would get together and they're governing Israel and there's a division even in theology. And Paul knew this. That's why he spoke of the resurrection because the heart of the gospel, saints, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Once he mentioned this, that's when the Pharisees say, hey, wait a minute, he's a son of the Pharisee. You know, he's a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee himself. And he believes in the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection. So that brought up the vision, and that's what they said. So he says, to the Jews, I've done no wrong, in verse 10. As you very well know, but he says here in verse 11, for if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. If I deserve death, the punishment that... I do not object to it. He's willing to die. I've committed the crime. I would do the time. And death, if it's a part of it, I'm willing to die. I I have no objection to dying. And he said, but if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, because they have no proof, no one can deliver me to them. And here's what he says. That's very important. I appeal to Caesar. Whoa. 
you could almost imagine the oohs and the ahs in this whole auditorium. Before the Jewish leaders, before Festus and all his men and the commanders. I appeal to Caesar. Here Paul uses his right as a Roman citizen. Listen, you're playing games. I know my right. And I could have used that right from the very beginning, but I think Paul was one who knew that he was in the will of God. If it was me, forget. I was, I'll, I'll use all the rights I can, trust me. You know. But here, Paul, Jesus appeared to him. He says, listen, Paul, I'm with you. When he was there in the prison the first time, he said, I'm with you. Just as you testify for me in Jerusalem, you will testify for me in Rome. And Paul says, listen, okay, I got that. That's cool. I'm good. I'm following the Lord. He's going to take me to Rome. I desire to go to Rome. He's going to take me to Rome. And so, but here he realized, okay, this is it. As a Roman citizen, if a Roman citizen felt that they were not getting a fair trial, or if their initial trial and appeals failed to reach satisfactory decision, they can appeal to the Supreme Court of the Roman Empire. That is to appeal to Caesar. And that's what he said. You know what? I want to go to the Supreme Court. You guys can't handle it. Let's go to the Supreme Court. And Paul uses his right. Verse 12, then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, you have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. I mean, Festus has no choice. He has no choice in the matter. He's probably saying, what are we going to do now, guys? He's appealed to Caesar, you know. He can't deny him his right because he stood there before everyone. Festus cannot deny that. Now Festus, he has a problem. He inherited a problem, and he has a bigger problem. He has to now answer to Caesar, why has this man been in prison for so long? There's no evidence. hasn't been charged with anything. And he's a Roman citizen. He's going to have a problem. He's going to have a problem. And so, in verse 13, he says, And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea, to grieve Festus. So King Agrippa, this is King Agrippa II, the son of King Agrippa, obviously the first, but the great-grandchild of Herod the Great. You know who Herod the Great is for you students of the word. Herod the Great was the one that so desperately wanted to destroy Jesus Christ, the baby, the babe, the Christ child, and he ordered the death of every child two years and under. That's his great-grandfather. He's here with his sister, Bernice. Bernice is, King Agrippa II is about early 30s, and his sister is just one year younger than him. She was born right after. There's been some rumors about these two, that she'd been married twice before, and that the brother-sister relationship, that's what, you know, tradition says, but we don't know that for sure. But these two come in, they come into town. And so, Here, Caesar is visiting Festus, and Festus, he takes the opportunity to seek King Agrippa's counsel. He's the king. I have to bring this before him before I go to Caesar. And so here it is, verse 14. When they had been there many days, so Paul is still in prison, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix. He wanted to make it clear. Listen, it wasn't me. This is Felix. I inherited it. This is his problem. About who the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem asking for judgment against him. 
And so he's making it clear to them, this is what they're asking. And of course, they're asking for a judgment. Now, the word judgment here in the Greek is not like, okay, let's decide whether Paul was guilty or not. They just want him to be punished. They want a penalty against him. That's what they were asking. That's the kind of judgment they were asking. They said, listen, we want a penalty for this man. They didn't say, well, listen, you know, we have all this evidence because obviously they didn't have evidence. So they're asking for a judgment. And Festus continues to tell King Agrippa, he says, to them I answered, it is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has an opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charges against him. And that's what they did. That's what Paul did twice. Now he's going to do it a third time. Therefore, he says, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accuser stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things, I suppose. So he believed that there were some serious charges. So he hears the complaint, because this time is a complaint, remember? There was no accusations against Paul. He says, but no accusation against him of such things, I suppose. So he thought there were going to be some serious crimes. You know, he committed murder. He defiled the temple. He did something. Nothing. 18, when the accuser stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things, as I suppose. But in verse 19, had some questions, no accusations, just questions against him about their own religion, and about a certain Jesus, this is the heart of it, who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. That's what it was all about. It wasn't about the riots. It was a lie. It wasn't going against Caesar. It wasn't against the temple. It wasn't against the Jewish law. Paul interpreted the law. But it was because the questions against Jesus Christ, and he's alive. The question is about Jesus and his resurrection. And can I tell you, that is always going to be the root of the problem. When the world is against Christianity, when the world is against the church, it's not for anything but because of Jesus and his resurrection. He's alive. These Pharisees are going against him. This time around, the Pharisees didn't have the great lawyer, Tertullus, with them. They didn't accuse him, as they did in chapter 24, of being a plague, a creative dissension among the Jews and throughout the world. They didn't accuse him as being a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, which is the people of the way. They didn't accuse him of trying to profane the temple. No, all they did was ask questions against Paul. The question was against what Paul believed. The question is against what you and I believe, and that is Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It's to mock it. It's to be a skeptic. It's to mock your belief as a Christian. That's what it's all about. And that's what we're going to have today. That's what we're having today. We've been going on for some time now. There will always be a case today against the church and those who believe in Jesus Christ and his resurrection 
Listen, saints, if anything you know about your belief in Jesus Christ, you call yourself a Christian. I'm not talking about by title. I'm talking about being a real Christian, living for Jesus Christ, and boldly speaking of Christ with your coworkers, family, and friends, that everybody knows you, and they mention your name. Your name is associated with Jesus Christ. And if you're that Christian, not by name, but a real Christian, you need to understand that the power of the gospel and the heart of the gospel is Jesus and his resurrection. That's the power of the gospel. It all centers around Jesus. Because, yeah, it could have been a nice story of Jesus, you know, being here doing his earthly ministry. We've got four gospels. And some of those gospels, if they didn't have the ending of those gospels, speaking of his resurrection, then it would have been a nice story. Yeah, he died on the cross. He performed all these miracles and raised people from the dead. But what good is all that if he didn't raise from the dead? The empty tomb is the receipt of who Jesus claims to be. Who he claims to be. He is the Son of God. He's the Lamb of God. And that's the heart of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The world would not want to hear it. Pray that those would hear it, and hopefully you'll be the one to share that message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hopefully you're that person. Because the only way the world can be saved and anyone can be saved is by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is why the Apostle Paul boldly said in Acts chapter 23, verse 6, he says, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And he's speaking about the resurrection, Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Paul wrote to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for here it is. But it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're going to see skeptics. I'm pretty sure if you've been a Christian and you've been bold in your faith and sharing about Jesus Christ, you're going to have skeptics going to talk about this Jesus. More importantly, you're going to have questions about whether or not did Jesus actually arise from the grave. He is risen. They're going to be skeptics. They're going to question you in that. Because now we have thinkers today. We have a lot of philosophers. And they want to know whether or not Jesus actually rose from the grave. And saints, I need to tell you that you need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to reevaluate your life as a Christian to see whether or not you can defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are churches today that are slowly pulling out the pages of their Bibles that has anything to do with the resurrection. All they want to do right now is tickle your ears. As long as they got a stadium full of people, they just want to tickle your ears. They don't want to speak the truth. No one's going to go to heaven by having the ears tickled. People want to go to heaven by repentance and pointing to Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And their churches today, they're not even teaching. If they don't teach on Easter Sunday, they won't teach it at all. But that's the heart of the gospel, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul's in prison right now. That's why he's going through so much. And that's sometimes I even question myself, am I really being bold for Jesus? Maybe I need to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Because what happens is, you know, I'm not getting persecuted that much. If you're not getting persecuted that much, then guess what? You know, you're just, you know, a closet Christian. I'm not saying that being a Christian, you're always going to have problems. You're going to see the glory of God. You're going to see people, you're going to see lives changed. 
they're going to question you, the skeptics. And just like here, it says, they ask questions against Paul. They're going to ask questions about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're going to say, how can you prove that Jesus Christ rose from the grave? Can you today? If you can't, I want to encourage you to learn how to defend Jesus Christ and his resurrection. That comes from studying the scripture. That's why we teach the scripture. I'm not here to make friends by trying to tickle your ears. I'm here to make a family in the body of Christ by speaking the truth. So you tell them the first thing, we can look at history. And you'll find that there's been an incredible explosion of Christians right there in the very heart of the city where they crucified our Lord and Savior. Even the birth of the church. Our birth, our history, your heritage, your history started there in the upper room in Jerusalem, the day of Pentecost. And it's still alive today. Secondly, the very Christians, they suffered and died only to testify that Jesus is the Christ and he rose from the grave. They die speaking about the very resurrection that Paul is being charged with. They suffered and died. Everyone knows, we all know that liars always lie for selfish reasons. What were the reasons of the martyrs early and even up to today? What were their reasons to lie about the resurrection of Jesus? But let's go back to that time when Jesus rose from the grave. Why would the apostles lie? Why would the disciples lie? Every single one of them, with the exception of two, tend to die a martyr's death. Judas committed suicide and, you know, the Lord needed John. What was their motive? What did they get out of it by lying? Instead, these true Christians wholeheartedly believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. What they got out of it was nothing but rejection, persecution, torture, and martyrdom. Think about that. Those are real Christians. It kind of challenges me. And we live in a country where we still have the freedom. It's, it's being taken away from us little by little. Little by little is being taken away from us. But we have every right to speak. There are so many Christians willing to die for the belief. Why were they willing to die for the belief? Number one, because they truly believed in Jesus and his resurrection. And were eyewitness accounts And the scripture tells us at one time, 500 saw the resurrected Jesus. And the scripture tells us in the first chapter of Acts that Jesus was here for 40 days after his resurrection. They believe. And secondly, the reason why they're dying for their belief is because the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, saints, is the same power that's going to rise you from the grave for those who believe. Because he conquered sin and death, Because he conquered the grave, saints, we believe in him. We have eternal life. Therefore, we will die physically, but we will not die eternally. Our spirit and our soul, our glorified bodies will stand before him just as he is. The same power. Jesus says, I have the power to lay down my life. I have the power to raise it up again. And that same power that rose Jesus from the grave is going to rise you from the grave. So they believe in the resurrection. And thirdly, we see the Old Testament prophets, there are over 300 Messianic prophecies that spoke of Jesus the Messiah, just in the Old Testament alone. And there are numerous and hundreds of scriptures that talked about the Messiah, that he would die. Here's Psalms 1610. It says, For you 
will not leave my soul in Shiloh, nor will you allow your Holy One, that's speaking of Jesus, your Holy One to see corruption. He will not see corruption. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is going to rise us from the grave. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy, Matthew 28, verse 6, out of one of the four Gospels. He is not here, it says, for he is risen. And he said, come, see the place where the Lord laid. Is empty. They've witnessed Christ alive. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 8. Paul writes to the church of Corinth, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. This is the resurrection. Saints, reason why I kind of park here a little bit, because Paul was able to defend himself. He was a scholar. He was a Pharisee. And he gave his life to the Lord, and now he knows the scripture. Here he stands. He doesn't have the New Testament like you and I, we have. We have the New Testament. Paul was able to turn the world around to Christ with just the Old Testament scriptures. There are times I open up the Old Testament and, you know, just reveal things to people when you share the gospel. But I can tell you, man, that's hard. Paul believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, the ancient Jewish historian Flavius Josephus established the fact, he said that the Bible is at bare minimum a historical, reliable book. This is one of the oldest historians. If you don't want to believe in the accounts of the scriptures, we'll look at one of the oldest historians that ever lived. His name is Josephus Flavius. He was one of the old Jewish historians at that time. He says, it's a historically reliable book. And so saints, sometimes we need to go back to basics. We need to go back and evaluate our lives. And if we truly believe in Jesus Christ and his resurrection, we better be ready to defend the gospel. We need to be ready to give an answer when we're asked a question against the resurrection. When they ask you questions against your Messiah, your Lord and Savior, when they ask you questions about your God, when they ask you questions about the resurrection, be ready to give an answer. Here, Paul, he's going to stand before them. He's going to share the gospel. So I encourage you, learn the word. And so Festus, he's going to continue to say to King Agrippa, he said, but they had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive, verse 20. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning this matter. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of August I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Verse 22, then Agrippa said to Phetus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Festus said, tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. We hope that today's edition of Running the Race has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Milford, Pennsylvania area, 
We want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on Running the Race are produced from the worship services at Calvary Chapel of Milford. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in church. Then please join us. We have services every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., as well as an in-depth midweek Bible study every Wednesday at 7 p.m. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to runningtheraceradio.com and then simply click on Service Times. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support Running the Race. Radio programs like Running the Race are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see running the race expand throughout the tri-state area. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting running the race? Log on to runningtheraceradio.com and simply click on the Give option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you. Please join us next time for another edition of Running the Race.